Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. My name is Umar Hamid. I'm your host on the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategy, and advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Just before we get started, I've got a question for you. Do you have a negative voice inside your head? We all do, right? I'm going to help you remove that voice in under 30 days guaranteed. Not only remove it, but transform it. So instead of the voice that sabotages you, there's one that propels you to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the No Limit Selling Podcast, where we interview leaders about how to grow their teams, how to grow themselves, and more importantly, how they grow the revenue for the organization. And today, we have the privilege of having Alex Manwaring here with us. He was with Privy. Welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. Glad to be here. So you're the director of sales there, but when you started in the company, where did you start? Yeah. So when I first joined Privy, it was originally to start a business development team. So I was brought on as a BDR manager originally. And when I first joined, it was specifically looking to build an outbound function. And one of the things that we quickly learned in my first few months is the capital that it requires in order to kind of properly build out that function. In addition to that, you're looking at things such as longer sales cycles and just ultimately the economics of that versus the strong demand that we were seeing from an inbound perspective that was being relatively underserved. View that as an opportunity to really focus our time and energy there. So although uh, I was brought in initially to uh, start an outbound business development program, that quickly pivoted uh, a few months in and was the inception of what is now the majority of our sales team, which is inside sales representatives. But at the time, it was just a small handful of individuals compared to a rather large AE team. And so uh, that was the inception of the inside sales representative role where we really focused on kind of the lower end of that inbound funnel that was previously being somewhat disregarded by our account executives at the time because it was relatively smaller ASP. And so, um, yeah, it was at that point that we pivoted to that ISR or inside sales representative model. And really over the past few years, we've continued to flush that out, build that out and what that looks like to the current state in which we now have an SMB team, uh, which is specifically the inside sales representatives. And then we have a mid-market team as well of account executives and SDR supporting that team. So it's uh, evolved quite a bit in the three years since I've been here, but fortunately I've been able to make significant strides and ultimately close revenue. Brilliant. So were you doing uh, business development before you came into the company? Correct. So um, I actually started my career as a business development representative. So uh, my very first role, uh, well, actually prior to that, I was selling radio advertising uh, as an account executive right. uh, for about six months. And then when I broke into tech, that was as a business development representative at Datadog in late 2016. And so I spent about nine months there. And then our t- one of our top reps at the time, Datadog, Matt Woods, uh, he left for Mavenlink. And that really kind of caught my attention because he was the number one rep at Datadog and somebody who I looked up to. And so it just so happened at the time, Mavenlink was looking to build out their Boston business development team. And so I was one of the first two BDR hires in the Boston office there, really with that intention of wanting to kind of start at the ground level as a BDR there, but be able to grow into a leadership capacity and help build out the team. 
And fortunately, uh, I was able to do that while I was there, moving from BDR to team lead and then eventually uh, manager of business development uh, before I kind of made this move to Bernie. So in business development, if you have a rep that is doing outbound calls just to generate appointments, typically how many appointments should they be setting per day? It's a good question. I think it really kind of depends on your model, right? Because what's good to to one program might be terrible to another, right? Yeah. And I think like a big part of that is your funnel metrics and, and what those look like. Because for example, just to use easy numbers. So we have a target of at the end of the month, we want to have 10 qualified meetings held. Um, you basically need to figure out a few different things, but in particular, all right, when it comes to booking meetings, what's your meeting health percentage? And let's say that's 50%. Then we know, okay, I need to have 20 meetings booked in order to generate 10 health meetings. And from there, okay, what's your activity to meeting booked percentage? Because for example, if I need to get to 20 meetings, I have a roughly 10% from call to demo booked rate, then I know I need 10 times that 20 or 200 calls in order to get to those 20 meetings booked, which are ultimately going to get me to those 10 meetings held. But 10%, right? That's a nice clean number. In reality, it's typically different than that, right? It might be 8%, it might be 12%, and especially at scale, those few percentage point increases or decreases in either direction can really have a massive impact ultimately on that bottom line metric that you care about, which is revenue. But that revenue comes from held meetings, held meetings come from booked meetings, comes from activity. So it's kind of working your way backwards from those end goals. That's the math. Absolutely. Uh, I was talking to, uh, I got cold called the other day and the guy did a really good job, stumbled a little bit, but you know, the value prop was good. So I said, okay, book me a meeting. And before we part company, yeah. Uh, how many meetings do you have to book a day for the company you work at? And he said, you know, we need to book five meetings a day and he's doing 500 dials a day, but only getting 15 pickups. And from those 15 pickups, he secures five meetings. So one out of three conversations leads to a meeting, but I guess they use automation to do the dialing, but that's an awful lot of dials. An awful lot of people you call yeah, on their phone also, which is a problem these days, which people are really looking at the caller ID. Like, do I know this? Should I pick up? And the answer uh, many times, unfortunately, is no. Yeah, no. I mean, I think you see things like spam likely too, right? On your cell phone now, it's going to say Oh, yeah. Potential. It's like so irritating. <laughs> no, no. If I was... I was just going to say, like, you see spam likely, you see potential spam. And it's actually, it's funny you bring it up because just last week we were talking about this on our team the importance of voicemails, because otherwise, if you make a call and you don't leave a voicemail, if anything, what you're likely doing is just further increasing the likelihood that they're going to associate your number with spam. So even if it didn't say potential spam or spam likely, the most recent time you called, they're going to see that number. They're going to see no voicemail left and just assume, oh, this is probably somebody trying to call me about my car's extended warranty, even though I don't own a car, right? Oh, yeah. And they're... And it's one of those spam calls versus, all right, leave a voicemail. And now you're at least giving your in itself an opportunity to distinguish yourself, kind of set yourself apart from all the other clutter that people are seeing. And so, um, yeah, it's just definitely something, especially because it's becoming more and more difficult to, to catch somebody on the phone is like, all right, if you don't catch them, you at least want to leave them a compelling voicemail. So that way they know who we are and ultimately why they should want to call us back. The last data I saw on leaving messages, it was something like less than 1% get returned, but you get to leave a brand and you get to leave some familiarity with this is who I am. And sometimes it takes 
Well, it's supposed to take eight touches before you uh, get someone to actually interact with you. And most salespeople give up a little bit before eight, usually at one. Yep. <laughs> so, tell me yeah. from uh, BDR, and now you're inside sales leading up a team of uh, five people? Uh, correct. Yep. Four account executives and then uh, one SDR. And then we have two other pods of inside sales representatives, which are managed by two other sales managers. So how do you know you're doing a good job as a sales manager? Like. How do you ascertain that yourself? Not what your boss tells you, but how do you know you're doing a good job? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And even before I forget as well, it's just something interesting that you mentioned. I didn't want to lose the thought sure. of. Um, so even first on the idea of the low callback, like 1% callback rate, like on voicemails, opportunity to leave a brand. I think one of the things that we've even been talking about as well as a team is that you're not necessarily going to see the effectiveness of voicemails reflect in terms of the callbacks, but there will be a direct correlation between your email response rate going up and the number of voicemails that you leave. And so I think it's always just like a good thing to, to almost keep in perspective, like what your goal is, because it can be easy to say, why am I leaving all these voicemails? Nobody's calling me back. But while they might not explicitly state it when they respond to your email, you're going to see a higher email response rate in direct correlation with a higher number of voicemails left. And so I think it's always just good to temper expectations that while they might not call me back directly, they're going to be more likely to respond to my emails because to your point, it's brand recognition. And now they're going to associate that email that they get with that voicemail they got and be more likely to respond. So just so this, definitely. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Is this a Alex, uh, I think this is going on or is there any data behind it? Like, you know, you live and breathe it. Oh so. yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, like we will look at pretty much every metric that we can try to figure out, just trying to slice and dice and look for efficiencies in our model. And that's one of the things that stood out to us in the data is quite literally that direct correlation between the reps on the team who leave the voice, most voicemails. They have the highest email response rate compared to the people who leave the fewest voicemails have the lowest email response rate. So there was a direct correlation between the most voicemails and most email replies and vice versa in inverse correlation as well. Thank you for stopping me and sharing that because that's like dear viewers and listeners, pay attention because that makes perfect sense. Because uh, I was just going, it's brand recognition, but you got real data to prove that. Wait a minute, <laughs> people respond back. So uh, the question I asked you, how do you know you're yep. doing a good job? Yeah, no, back to that question. I think obviously... There's the, all right, at the end of the day, this is the revenue number, quota attainment, and that's ultimately all right, how you're compensated, how you're measured. But I think really, again, like if you analyze each aspect of the funnel, that's where you're able to not only tell whether or not you're doing a good job, but also, all right, where things might be breaking down. Because fortunately, like we've, we've had a good run of success here, overachieved on quota, but I think a big part of the role, right, is understanding why, not just understanding, all right, great, I got there. But it's being able to articulate, okay, these are the strengths, right? If we analyze our win reasons, this is why we're consistently winning against X competition. But this is why we're consistently losing as well when we do lose deals and having that feedback, whether from a product standpoint, a process standpoint, something else entirely, and being able to analyze that information. So I would say it's kind of like multiple points of validation almost, like directly with the team. Uh, been very fortunate to kind of foster just a really, really culture of extreme transparency. I'm, I'm a huge fan of radical candor, as I know a lot of other people are, um, and really just trying to kind of get that philosophy to, to be bought into by the entire team, where regardless of title, role, et cetera, feedback, good back, 
good, bad, or indifferent, it helps us get better and, and we want to hear it. And so um, weekly one-on-ones, just even in terms of the anecdotal, hearing directly from the direct reports on the team, okay, what's going well, what's not, what can I help you do, what can I do more of, do less of, et cetera. So there's that anecdotal feedback. Um, and again, even if the revenue is there, if you're seeing a metric that looks unhealthy, whether it's in terms of meetings held, and then that might lead you to think, okay, yeah, while we are still hitting our revenue metric, we have an unusually high close rate right now that I don't know whether or not that's sustainable. But even then, okay, let's analyze why we have a close high, higher than usual close rate. Is there something that we're doing? So I would say in terms of just like being able to assess the health of the business, it's not just revenue, but it's in a variety of those other KPIs that we do have. And if there are any either warning signs, digging deeper into those to unpack why that's unhealthy or the flip side of that, oh, wow, we're doing really well despite this because we're overperforming here. Why are we overperforming there? Let's see how we can replicate that at scale. Um, so I'd say, obviously, there's the revenue at the end of the month, week, and how you're pacing there. But just as, if not more important, are those leading KPIs such as meetings held, meetings booked, conversion rates at each percentage in terms of activity to meetings booked. And then even just general market sentiment as well. Like, like I said, we, we keep a really close eye on both closed one as well as closed loss reasons. Anytime somebody churns, there's a note for basically them providing feedback in terms of why they churn. We read everything. Like we want to know directly from the customer why they're buying, why they're renewing, or inversely, why we're losing deals and why they're churning. So that way we can better understand how to improve. And sometimes that is our sales process. It's, I know as salespeople, we can uh, we can be quick to shift blame, right? Whether it's to marketing, to product, or anybody else but ourselves. But I think it really is important that we do take that opportunity to self-reflect and look for those opportunities where we ourselves can improve and ultimately just maximize everything that we can control, right? Because there's going to be a million different things outside of your control, a million different crutches that we can leverage. But ultimately, our success we have to take ownership of that and we have to determine what we're doing that's working versus what we're doing that needs to be rectified. Brilliant. So you've got three teams and the other two inside teams are focused on different markets or the same market, but just different uh, teams. Yep. So basically the breakdown is our inside sales representatives. They focus heavily on our new trial funnel. Mm -hmm. So Basically, we have a free trial model. Anybody can sign up for the platform, get exposure to it, and they have two weeks to trial it out. And so our inside sales representatives, their goal is really on day one or as soon as early as possible to connect with that person in their trial, offer to set up time and basically help educate them both in terms of, okay, this is what you could be doing and should be doing versus, all right, you probably don't want to do that. Just helping them better understand the platform, their needs understand what they're using right now so that we didn't get a healthy competitive analysis but that's really where that smb team is primarily focused is on those new trials and then the mid-market team they'll focus on a handful of larger trials but then mm -hmm. also in a predominantly cross-sell capacity since we basically will have like multiple products the mid-market team will often be focused on cross-selling into our existing user base of customers to expand their usage of our platform and adopt the other platform. So definitely, definitely differences there, I would say, in terms of the personas that the SMB team is working with. It's going to be predominantly on the on the lower end of the market and more transactional versus the mid-market team sales cycles are a little bit longer, ASP is a little bit more, and 
it's more of a either selling into existing customers or churn customers or people who never converted. So just more more moving pieces, if you will, in the mid market motion versus the S and B motion is predominantly like ninety nine percent just those new trials. So do you guys uh, meet as leaders, uh, just chatting about the business, best practices, kind of sense of the market, and how often do you guys meet? Yeah. So in terms of our leadership cadence, uh, we like to meet multiple times a week. So like, for example, at the beginning of every single week, um, we'll have our entire team sales kickoff with individuals, reps included. And right after that meeting, it's basically the leaders of the demand generation and marketing funnel, in addition to the leaders of the sales team. And we look at the week ahead in terms of any marketing sends or any promotions that we have planned. In addition, all right, what's our sales team's focus and cadence this week as well. So that way everybody's aligned and everybody's on the same page. So we'll start off the week just making sure that there's no questions. Everybody knows exactly what everybody's focused on. There's no overlap or contradictions. Um, and then Tuesdays are when we'll basically go through as a sales leadership team and do our pipeline and funnel review. Just get a sense of, all right, health of the business this month. What does it look like? Where are we trending? What are we forecasting? Because again, I, as I kind of alluded to before, that's when we can take a quick snapshot and say, all right, we're doing really good in our commit, but we don't really have nearly as much in meeting books. We're going to need that. We're going to see the, the tail end of that soon or vice versa. Um, so we'll do that basically on Tuesday afternoons. And then Fridays, we'll do a look back as sales leadership. So basically nice. we'll look at, yeah, where we basically look back on Friday. Okay, what went well? What do we need to do next week in order to either continue this momentum or to build up some momentum if we're lagging a little bit behind? And we'll kind of use that as an opportunity to plan for the week ahead. So that way we have a jump start on that Monday meeting with marketing. And we know exactly what our focus is going to be when we talk to them. So if you were giving advice to new sales leaders coming in where they've got a team, what are the uh, five most important things they need to keep focus on? Yeah. Um, I mean, in terms of like, all right, starting, say you're inheriting a team, right? You come in brand new. I think like first and foremost, just getting a pulse on who your top performers are, right? Mm -hmm. And like getting an understanding of who the typical leaders on the team are. You look at past performance, things of that nature. Um, and then understanding your value proposition. All right, why are we winning? Go look at all your closed one notes. Go look at any customer testimonials. Talk to customers if you can. But I would say understanding why you're winning and what your unique value proposition is and ultimately why people are paying. Uh, inversely, understanding why you're losing. Go look at all the closed loss notes. Go look at all the churn notes. Don't be afraid of or shy away from your weaknesses, which I think is a mistake that some people will make is the ego will kind of get in the way of wanting to admit any potential weaknesses when really it's something to be embraced. So I think understanding why you're winning, understanding why you're losing, understanding what your average sales price is and why. Right. So that way you can see, are, are there levers that I can pull? What can we do from a process or strategy standpoint to improve our ASP? Um, sales cycle as well is going to be that other big piece. Okay. How long is it typically from first touch or first meeting to conversion? That way you can appropriately forecast, especially when you step into a new role. You need to know, all right, I have this much pipeline, but when am I actually going to see this materialize into returns? Um, and I, I'd say that fifth piece is just understanding your funnel metrics in every step right? Okay. You know why you're winning, you know why you're losing, who your top performers are, ASP sales cycle. And then ultimately, all right, what is our customer journey from somebody discovering us or just first hearing about us to somebody signing and getting handed off to customer success, hopefully renewing and being a successful long-term customer for us. But 
I'd say that anecdotal, especially because I think a lot of people just focus on the quantitative and say, all right, come in, understand the funnel, understand your KPIs, this metric, that metric. But it's really vital to understand some of that qualitative data around, okay, why are we winning? What are those customer testimonials, their reasons, why are we losing? And it's not always black and white, or it's not always one feature. It could be your process. It could be the lack of support, migration, understanding, whatever it might be. And if you don't understand that, then you're not going to be able to really, when you bring on a new sales leader, right? You're not going to be able to see those lifts that you were brought on to provide. And if you don't understand your weaknesses uniquely and in depth, then you're never going to get there. So what's the next uh, area of growth for you? Like you're looking to to move up, get better. So what are you working on right now to improve your game? Yeah, um, I mean, a lot of different things. So I, I've got a lot to work on, as I always like to say. But um, I'd say a few things in particular for me. Um, one thing that I can have a bit of a tendency to do is when somebody asks the question, and I know the answer. I just provide that sort of immediate gratification. I'm like, all right, yep, this is where you can find it. And there's a variety of different reasons for that, mm -hmm. right? I think part of it is like, all right, everybody's moving fast. We don't want to slow somebody down. We want to allow them to be successful. Some of it's probably ego as well, right? It's like you want to be perceived as like this all-knowing source. So that way people like want to right. go back to you. They respect you. Like they look to you as like this source of wisdom and leadership, um, right? No, and I, I think, I mean. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, it's intoxicating it's, and you need to fight it to get better. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that it's like the, the teach to fish versus giving a fish. And so I'd say that's one of my biggest focus points. Um, I even said it to somebody uh, on Friday on my team when they were trying to figure out why accounts weren't showing up in a certain report. And I knew exactly why just in looking at the filters, but I even said to them, I was like, Hey, I know why, but I'm going to ask you if you can take a second look here, see if anything stands out to you and like asking more of those thought provoking questions. That's a big focal point for me because people value more what they conclude for themselves rather than what they're told. I forget exactly like where I read that or like where I've heard that, but that's like one of those adages that really I think holds true. Well, and if, something you, if you become the crutch, people use you all the time. And if you uh, get them to actually figure it out themselves, it goes a long way. And going back to your example of, uh, I'm not sure if you've heard this, uh, you can uh, give a man a fish and he'll eat a meal, or you can teach him how to fish and he'll buy a boat and drink beer all day. <laughs> I like that one, but yeah, no, I think. So you are saying the next phase for you is learning. And so what's one of the things you're learning to get better? Pardon? I missed the question. Oh, or what's one of the things that you're learning to improve your game? Yeah, no, I'd, I'd say a lot of it is just like having a role model or a mentor has been like really helpful for me. And so I think in terms of like exactly what I want to focus on, um, our senior director of sales, Ian Martin, who I report to, He's done a really, really nice job of kind of like helping model the behavior for like, which I can follow because I think that's right. been, so, been so huge for me is like having that example to follow of how he does exactly that in terms of, all right, you have this challenge. What have you tried so far? How do you think you should approach it? Walk me through how you got there. And he's been really diligent and deliberate about that. And as a result, I've been modeling my own sort of behavior after him. So like we'll have our one-on-ones where it's like a status of the business or a health check on the business, but then we'll have just purely coaching based one-on-ones. And I think that's like another big, big thing as well is having a clear structure for a meeting and having ones that are separate where it's update forecast related pipeline management account strategy and others that are just pure coaching sessions. 
No, love it. And separating both, I think, makes a lot of sense. So last two questions for you. Alex, what makes you happy? What makes me happy? Um, great question. I would say uh, not work-related. Uh, my, my, my puppy, I have a golden doodle named Daisy that I'm obsessed with. Right. My fiance, my fiance Brittany, and spending time with both of them. Um, I would say those are like two of my biggest sources of happiness, like spending time with them, family, friends, golf and stuff like that. And I think it relates to, to work though, in the sense that like what makes me happy is having that flexibility, having that really healthy work-life balance. And that's something we really do prioritize and promote a is that opportunity to take an unlimited amount of PTO and not only the ability to take it, but it being strongly encouraged. And so when we haven't taken in a while, uh, my SVP will nudge me and be like, hey, like, what are your plans this summer? When are you going to take some time off? Like, come on, take, take some time off and unplug. So um, I'd say that's what makes me the happiest is, is having an organization that not just has that policy in place, but actually practices that policy and actually encourages it. So I just really appreciate that flexibility and sort of freedom uh, to spend time with my loved ones when I'm away from Brilliant. I will not tell Brittany that the dog came first when I asked what makes you happy. <laughs> it's all right. I, I think uh, she wouldn't be too surprised. She'd probably go the same way, help. too. The puppy's always Yeah, exactly. She would say the same thing. <laughs> so uh, last question. What's a mind hack or a technique you use to become uh, more productive, uh, more successful? Is there something you'd like to share with listeners and viewers? So my favorite book that I've read is Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. Love it. And, and why I love Blink so much is that it really teaches you to trust your gut instinct and why those snap decisions that you make 90% of the time are accurate. And so I think reading that book, I recommend it to everybody that I talk to. Um, Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. I think it's just like so, so valuable in terms of better understanding your intuition and why it's accurate. And then also situations and they've studied when your intuition is inaccurate, there's typically these outside influencers that direct, directly influence your decision-making ability. And when you understand what those are and you're more proactively conscious of them, you're able to sort of like block them out. So the classic example that they'll talk about is the weather, right? And people can be in a bad mood when it's raining outside, it's cold, it's crappy, whatever. But even just literally simply acknowledging and saying out loud, it is bad weather outside today. It is raining. The weather stinks. And just audibly saying that and acknowledging it, it's like, okay, great. I'm not going to allow that to affect my mood, my output, and my overall work today. Um, so that's obviously like one of the more simple examples. But, I love it. Um, love it. Really useful. It's you take the power out of it. And if you don't, it's in your head swimming around, getting in the way all day long. You just say it. Uh, there was something I was teaching the other day. It's, uh, I am a winner. And sometimes I'm not like when you kind of fail at something rather than focusing on the failure, just focus on, Hey, or I'm a closer. And sometimes I'm not, it's, it's okay. Alex, thanks so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. I got some uh, really good notes here from a conversation. Oh. I should have been a doctor. No one can read it, but thanks for being <laughs> yeah, Umar, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results.